Well, as I said earlier, um, this morning's theme is redemption. We have taken four uh, truths, and it's really, they are the overarching uh, narrative, the meta, meta narrative, if you would, of all of the Bible. It's the story of the Bible. And when we've taken them during these three weeks uh, up to Resurrection Sunday, including Resurrection Sunday. Last Sunday, Matt taught on creation and the fall. He did an excellent job. If you haven't listened to it, do. Please listen to it. This morning, I'm going to be teaching on the third truth of the four, which is redemption, and then on Resurrection Sunday, the theme, the subject will be new creation. Creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. And I want to read a couple of texts, actually four, and I think we'll have them on the screen for you as we begin this morning uh, surrounding around the subject of redemption. The first is from Exodus chapter 15, verse 13. In your unfailing love, let, let each of these sink into your hearts. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. Deuteronomy 15, 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this day, Moses speaking. Psalm 107, verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. And then 1 Peter, very familiar New Testament text, 1, 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Father, once again, even as we've already prayed this morning, we're so thankful when we give you this time in the Word of God. Not only that you would instruct us and teach us, but Lord, that you would... Instill in us a greater love for the Son of God and for the glory of your name. Lord, I, I pray that this morning would, would both open the eyes of our hearts to truth, but also would open our hearts to the vast, great, incredibly deep mystery of the grace of God. And so we, we offer this time to you and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, these four truths are often considered to be what is referred to as the overarching or meta-narrative of the Bible, the story of redemptive history, if you would. And I want to say to you that I, I believe that there's also a fifth truth that we don't talk about very often that I think is very crucial today to understand in light of what I'm teaching in, in regards of redemption. And this fifth truth or fifth aspect of the great redemptive narrative, narrative, theologians call or refer to as the eternal decree of God. This is called the eternal decree of God because it's not something chronologically that we can trace as we do creation, fall, the story of redemption and looking toward the new creation because the eternal decree of God happened sometime in eternity. 
which is beyond our comprehension. And right, right away we have to begin realizing that this story ultimately is not about us, it's about God. And this story begins in eternity. And again, I, I, I think it's a healthy thing, and Matt talked about this last week a little bit, trying to ponder some of these truths that are beyond our comprehension, though it's impossible to fully grasp them. It's a healthy thing to do as a Christian. Because if nothing else, it humbles us. If nothing else, it reduces us. If nothing else, it puts us in our proper place before this great God. We are often so casual, aren't we? We're too casual in our faith. We, we, we talk to him in ways that are so casual. We, 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 we take this faith, this Christianity, this thing that we believe, that we hold to, that is obviously the most important part of your life, so casually. So when we begin to contemplate these kinds of truths, it reduces us, it puts us in our proper place. This fifth aspect, the eternal decree of God, is a truth that is spoken of by Paul often in Ephesians 1 especially. And this is what he wrote, and you're, you're going to be familiar with this. He wrote this, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. This began before the foundation of the world, this story of redemption. Peter speaks of it in his very first sermon in Acts chapter 2 when he preaches after the Spirit of God falls upon the early church. He, he said this in Ephesians 2, excuse me, Acts 2, 23. He said, Jesus was delivered up according, listen, to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This is what he preached that day in Jerusalem. Jesus, this Christ whom you have crucified, don't believe that simply you killed him, although you did, but God delivered him up according to an eternal plan that was in the heart of this triune God. Paul spoke of it again in 1 Timothy chapter 1 when he wrote to Timothy. He said, he saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our own works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which has now been manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So the apostles obviously grasped this eternal truth that redemption was not something that just happened because Adam blew it but rather it was in the heart of God from all eternity. Before the foundation of the world, God had a plan to create for himself, to, to call for himself a people to be his own and to create for himself an earthly kingdom that would glorify him, that would make him known. And he foreordained that his entire creation and everything would take place and in order for his greatness to be seen and his plan to be made known. And there's so much mystery in this. And it, it raises all kinds of questions and why and why and why did God allow and why didn't God and what, what, what. Those are questions that you, that you can ask them, but you can't answer them out of your own understanding. The Bible calls them a mystery. And in order to accomplish 
this redemption that God purposed would take place from all eternity, a people to be his own, called out of and to himself. He covenanted the Father and the Son and the Spirit, covenanted within themselves as this triune God in eternity to make atonement and to bring redemption for men. Brothers and sisters, can I say it again? It's not about you. It's about him. Now, of course, it's about us because we're the benefactors of this great truth. But ultimately, these truths are for his glory. And I'm going to talk more about that in a few minutes. So as we begin to understand that redemption was not just God's solution to the fall, this is important to grasp. It was not just God's plan B. It was not ever meant to be a self-help program for people so they could live better lives and find success in their lives and be happy. Although, of course, those things are good and not bad. But that wasn't the purpose. This is it. We're talking about eternity now, this plan of God. It wasn't to be fire insurance, to keep a man or a woman out of hell. Redemption was the eternal purpose of God, of a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. And it was the first covenant and it was made amongst this triune God, amongst themselves, these three persons, co-equal, yet one, Father, Son, and Spirit, who covenanted together to save a people to be their own. And so every, this is amazing, this truth, and it came to me this week, which you know this is true, every subsequent act of God and every subsequent covenant of God would flow from this first great covenant that God made called the eternal decree. Everything after that came from that. And so when we talk about redemption, you know, I mean, it's so easy for us to take that one truth. I mean, to, Matt said, I want you to teach on redemption when we, we were talking about this series you know, and I went, oh, my goodness, what an incredibly large subject. It could take months to preach this. And that's true, and we do in a sense because everything is about that. But the other problem is, is that we can take it and we can just isolate it to the point of where it simply is only understood in the narrowness of what often we see it as the cross, Jesus dying for our sins. When, in fact, it is so much bigger than that when we put it in the, in the proper place that it fits, listen, in the eternal purposes of God. And then Paul says again in Ephesians 1, regarding this eternal decree, that it was according to the purpose of his will, speaking of God, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. And later he says in the same chapter, to the praise of his glory. So Paul would agree with me this morning, brothers and sisters, it's not about you. It's about him. Last week, Mike, uh, Matt, Matt inspired me. Uh, I laughed when I, I wasn't here last week. Kath and I were uh, up in Placerville with another church. It was a wonderful morning we had. 
but uh, I watched it uh, when I got home, and I, 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 I laughed because Matt uh, had a theme song for creation. And, yeah, it was good, man. It was really good. And I, I laughed, and, and I laughed to myself because when I study, I always have music on, too. And I always have music on. And it's, it's move, it move, so we have the same DNA, obviously. Obviously. And, yeah, both good and for Matt, not so good at times, I'm sure. Um, but I laughed to myself, and I thought, wait a minute. So he did it. I can do it. I got a theme song for redemption. And, and so I started thinking about it, and the first thing, honestly, the first thing that came to mind was the theme from Gladiator. And uh, I don't know if anybody has seen that movie, uh, but you maybe have heard the music. The music is really moving. So I started looking around a little bit for it, and I came across a video that I want to play for you right now. Um, it might seem a little cheesy to some of you, um, but I believe it will move you. But let me just tell you real quick. It's got five parts to it, and I'll, I'll try to identify them as they take place. If you could leave this mic on for me while, it, while the video is going. It begins with music that is the fall. It sounds the, the, the picture of the, it's, it pictures the fall in the garden. And then very quickly it goes to what I felt when I watched it. Genesis 3.15, when God comes and preaches the gospel of the coming Savior in the garden. The Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel. And then it moves from that into what I felt was sound and uh, soundtrack of of the old testament of life in the old testament of the many stories of redemption noah and the exodus and on and on and on and on other pictures of the old testament story as we move through the bible and then it comes to another break almost and it sounds like the coming of christ and the ministry of jesus on the earth and of course it ends with the cross there's five parts to this five-minute video. Watch it. I'll try to identify each part, but think about those five aspects. This is my theme song for redemption. This is the fall in the garden after the fall.
scripture is the Old Testament story, redemption in its many forms. bulk of the Bible for us, obviously. All of it pointing to Christ. This is the life of Christ, the ministry of Jesus, healing, freeing, forgiving, cleansing, all The Bible is the story of this glorious, saving God who from the beginning purposed to redeem a people that would be his own possession. We know the Old Testament is filled with story after story that are both pointing toward God's ultimate act of redemption in Christ, but also pictures and examples in and of themselves of redemption and the glorious truth of this redemptive heart that God from all eternity purposed to show forth. He covered Adam 
and Eve in their nakedness. He delivered Noah and his family from judgment. He provided a substitute for Abraham when he was told to kill his son Isaac. He passed over the sin of the Israelites and then delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh. Rahab's scarlet cord as the army of Israel entered Jericho provided safety and kept her family from death. Boaz paid what was demanded for Ruth as her kinsman redeemer. And the prophets used metaphors over and over again, speaking of the redemptive purposes of God in relationship to the Babylonian captivity, that Israel was taken into captivity through disobedience, but God in his mercy and in his kindness delivered them in spite of themselves. Promised that he would, and then he did, just as he spoke to us that he would come in Genesis 3.15 and provide a savior. As the one who delivers his people, Yahweh, is called Israel's redeemer again and again and again, especially by Isaiah. Or redemption is the key metaphor of, of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 43.1, But now says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So this picture of redemption, and there are many others in the, in the Old Testament. There's just a few. It just flows through the Old Testament narrative. Because in each of them, God was showing forth the kindness of his grace, his goodness, his mercy, in spite of a rebellious people, just like you and me and delivering them, and saving them, and freeing them, and covering them. The three words in the Old Testament that are used again and again to describe the redemption, pada is a word that speaks of the substitutionary aspect of redemption. That's what took place in the story of Abraham and Isaac when he was taken up onto Mount to kill Isaac. God provided a substitute. The word geal, geal is a legal term for the deliverance of a per person or property or right to which one had a previous claim through family relation or possession. The story of the kinsman redeemer is that. And then the third word is kapar, which means to cover. It's the word that is used in to, to speak of the covering of, of Adam and Eve and their nakedness. It's the word that's used in Ruth's story when Boaz extended his cloak, his garment, to cover her as her kinsman redeemer. So the picture of redemption is throughout the Old Testament in many different ways and in many different forms. But of course, of course, in the New Testament, God's redemptive purposes and heart are fully made manifest in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything the Old Testament pointed toward and everything the Old Testament spoke of and taught 
and made real and made known, sometimes in shadows, sometimes in ways that you had to look closely to try to see, other times very clear and very obvious. But every one of those, every one of those are made fully manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. And I would say that it's true redemptively both in his life and in his death. It wasn't just the death of Christ that was redemptive. The life of Christ is also, was also very redemptive. And the denial of himself again and again and again. And the suffering that he endured in his humanity through neglect, through dishonor, through false accusation, through probably loneliness, the cost that he paid to, of all, above all, to leave his place in heaven and to come to earth as a man. Paul catches that heart in Philippians 2 when he speaks of Jesus emptying himself, taking on the form of, of human likeness. But not just that, but being made lowly, even dying the death that he died then, ultimately. Redemption is fully manifest in Jesus Christ. He is our Passover lamb. He is the substitute for you and I. What we were supposed to bear, he bore for us. He's the one who delivered us. Just as Israel was delivered from the hand of Pharaoh, Jesus Christ delivered you and I from the snare of the devil. Look with me at Colossians chapter 1. He says in verse 11 of Colossians 1, Paul says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have Redemption, the forgiveness of sin. You see, the being strengthened with all power, the, the having all endurance and patience with great joy and being able to give thanks is all the result of the deliverance of God in Christ. Brothers and sisters, you are free today. You are free. You may not feel free. Unfortunately, you may not always look like you're free. You may not live and act as though you were free. But you are free. And you're free if you've believed in Christ because he has set you free. He has become for us our deliverance. Not only that, he has covered our shame and our nakedness. And I thought about this this week we know that he doesn't cover our sin any longer like they did in the Old Testament when they sacrificed, the sin was covered, but only temporarily until they sinned again. No, what Jesus does is he takes away our sin, but he covers our nakedness just as he did Adam and Eve's. 
He covers our shame with what? His righteousness and his life. Can you believe that you can stand with your face lifted to God without shame? The condemnation that you might feel in your heart comes not from God. It's either self-imposed or it's a lie from the pit of hell regarding your worth and your identity. Can you lift your face without shame? Yes, you can. Not only you can, you must. You must, knowing that you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And a ransom was paid for you and for me. This was a theological debate that took place many, 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 many centuries ago where they were talking about this ransom. And for a while, it seemed as though it's, that some were teaching the ransom was paid to Satan. No. Nothing was paid to Satan. The ransom was paid to God because he's purchasing back his own possession. The ransom was paid to God Due to the disobedience of man, something was demanded of man. Something was demanded of man due to his disobedience by a just and a righteous God. And Jesus paid what was demanded before God through his redemptive acts. He's our substitute. He's our covering. He's our deliverer. He's our kinsman redeemer, as was Boaz for Ruth. We are his inheritance, and he is our inheritance, simultaneously true. So the central theme of Scripture, the central theme of Scripture is that God has taken the initiative to act compassionately on behalf of those who are powerless to help themselves. You've all seen those pictures of the chasm, a guy standing on a cliff, and God over on the other cliff, and just a giant chasm in between. It's very accurate and very descriptive of what's true of a man or a woman outside of Christ. There's a chasm between man and God that cannot be crossed by man in any way, shape, or form. No way, no how, it doesn't matter what we do. There's another picture that I saw right after that one of man trying to build something out to get over to that other side. And try as he will, there's no way he can build that. He couldn't cantilever that far against that cliff. There was no way that I could ever get to God. Nobody here found God. God found you because he pursued you with this redemptive love. And when did he decide to do that? In all eternity. Before the foundation of the world, he purposed that you would be his own. And Christ came for you and for me and for any who would believe. And of course, the final ability to cross the chasm in these pictures is always the cross. The New Testament makes it clear that redemption had to include God identifying with humanity in its plight.
He had to identify with us. And he did in every way. Right, Dino? And because he identified with us, we are now able to identify with him. We have now had the marred image begun to be healed. The fallen man now is being restored through faith in Christ. New creation has begun in Jesus. It's not finished. Not yet. It will be one day. We only see glimpses of it, but we see enough to have tasted it to know that it's good. Next week, we'll celebrate this truth of new creation life because that's a life that we must live in today. We no longer live now as fallen men simply who have been saved. We now live as men and women who are partakers of new creation life. The resurrection life of Christ. I can't tell you how many times, and I think I've said this even recently, when I pray at times, I pray for myself, and the prayer that I pray is, Lord, let the resurrection life of Christ rise up within me. Heal my body, Lord. Heal me. Set me free, O oh God. Set me free, Father. Deliver me from this. Let the life of Christ within me, O oh God, rise up. The resurrection, new creation. The new creation has begun in Christ's indwelling in me and in, in you. And boy, there's a lot to say about new creation life. And we have taught a lot of it and we are going to continue because that is the story of the Christian walk. It's that of new creation. So Jesus' identification with us involved the securing of, his, of freedom for those who would believe through obedience, suffering, death, and resurrection. His resurrection, his identity with us involved all those things. Let me just close in what could be a two-hour sermon. Kevin is going to lead us on Friday in a devotion around Good Friday, so I'm sure that he's going to unpack more of this in his own creative way that he has. You got a pretty creative eldership team. You got to know that. We, we had a lot of creative juices in us. I think we kind of press them down sometimes just to stay sane in your eyes. But you know, there's a lot of stuff flowing in us. You were going to do an interpretive dance. Okay. You know, that, that'll work. That'll work. That'll work. I would encourage you to film it, though, so... <laughs> In case you stumbled or something, you know, we'll get the full impact of it. Yeah, you got three, three, musician, three musician brains here. Yeah. We just did one of those things. One of our kids sent us this, this thing recently of, are you right-brained or left-brained? You know, and I, you had to look at a picture. And the way that you saw the picture determined whether you were right-brained or left-brained. But it had to do with color. And so I was out because I'm colorblind. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm both, though, actually. Let me just talk to you as I close on what is, the, what is the fruit of redemption? This is obviously the most important practical application for us today. The first thing is true is that it is the bridge that crosses that unpassable chasm between God and fallen man. Redemption is, is the bridge. Secondly, and this is what I love so much, is God has shown himself to be faithful to his covenantal promises and to his word through redemption. 
Brothers and sisters, God is trustworthy. His word is true. You can trust him. Say this with me. I can trust God. I can trust God fully. He has shown himself to be faithful to his covenant promises and to his word. Thirdly, redemption is to the praise of his glory and his grace for all eternity. I don't think we will ever quit singing the praises of God for his redemption through all eternity. Lamb of God, you are worthy. You are worthy of all honor and glory and praise. You gave yourself, Lord, for those who, like Naomi, had no hope, who were left without hope. You covered, Lord, a Gentile like Ruth, and you cared for her. Just as we, Lord, were outside of the family of God, you called us your own, and you've made atonement for us in your redemptive love. And we worship you, Lord. Through this redemptive work, God has purchased for himself a people that are his own. He has purchased for himself a people that are his own. And we who believe have been delivered from this present evil age. Next slide back there. Wake up. We have been delivered from this present evil age. We were ransomed from sin's grip on our lives. I'll say it again. You're free. The, the demand that was needed to be satisfied was satisfied in Christ. And there was nothing you could have done to satisfy it. I know you tried. And I think some of you still are trying. You're still trying to satisfy God's righteous demands. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. In other words, obedience is the byproduct of love for God. It doesn't prove, obedience doesn't prove anything. It's the fruit of love. And even more than covered, though we, we have been covered from our, in our nakedness, redemption removes the shame and guilt of our sin. I don't know that there's anything more important for you and for me today than to be able to live guilt-free, shame-free, free of any self-condemnation that we heap upon ourselves or that we let the enemy bring upon us. None of us are worthy, but none of us are worthless. We are unworthy recipients of the grace of God. Just admit it. But he says to us, you are my beloved and you're my own because of the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. And then lastly, 
It is the door into the new creation. That might be the most exciting truth of all of these for us practically. First of all, again, I remind myself that it is not about me. It's about him. It's to his praise and to his glory. Everything that's happened happened out of that eternal purpose of God. He made within themselves this triune God within themselves in that first covenant. Everything in all of human history has flowed from that plan of God to redeem for himself a people. Nothing happens in the world that just happens by chance. God is in control of all of the affairs of men on the earth, that which he purposed from all eternity to take place. So don't be deceived. Don't be afraid. So it is about him, but it opens the door for us to walk into this life of new creation life that you and I will live in for all eternity. I can hardly wait. A new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where there is no longer any sin or any sorrow or any death or any mourning or any tears of pain where we are fully healed and fully restored and we are fully reconciled one to another and to God. And where those whom we love that have gone on before us in faith will be once again reunited with. What a joy, brothers and sisters. This is the truth of redemptive's love, redemption's love, and the power of this redemptive God's acts of grace. He is good. And he is worthy. Stand with me, please. I know the highlight of this teaching was that video. My wife liked it, so I knew I was safe in presenting it. Father, we lift our faces to you. And do it, brothers and sisters. Lift your face. There's no shame upon us. There's no fear in our hearts. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation. Lord, we are sinners saved by grace. We confess that. We have nothing, Lord, to offer you in our, ourselves. We've tried. We fall short again and again and again. But what we do today is, Lord, we stand today in the righteousness of Christ, covered for, in our nakedness and shame, Lord, with his righteousness, his cloaks of holiness. And I pray, Lord, that we would walk that out. I pray that it wouldn't just be something that we acknowledge for a few moments this morning, but that we would live that out on a moment-by-moment basis. When temptation comes, Lord, knocking at our door, we would see ourselves again as those that are redeemed by this precious blood. That you've provided, Lord, a ram to be the sacrifice, the substitution You provided a lamb, Lord, that would bear what we were to bear. We thank you this morning, Father. We worship you. Lord Jesus, we worship you. Spirit of God, we worship you. We worship you, Father, for, for all that took place in eternity. Spirit of God, we worship you that you have come, even as you were sent by the Son. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that when the Father said, will you go, you said, yes, Father, I will go. And you came to earth. We thank you for these truths. We thank you, Father, for this incredible heart of redemption that's been made now manifest to us.
And we do love you, and we do thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.